In the late 1970s and early 80s, Calypso music began to evolve. The genre, known for its wit, social commentary, and coverage of issues set to slow tempos and delicate melodies, started to adopt faster BPM rates and slightly more risque content in its lyrics. Led by Trinidad and Tobago artist Ras Shortiai, this new fusion of sounds, a manipulation and interpretation of percussion, electronic instruments, and fresh melodies, gave birth to soca music. Soca music was rhythmic, yet sensual, energetic, yet had the ability to touch the soul, just as any genre created by Caribbean people had done in the past. Soka's popularity swept the Caribbean region and everywhere that the diaspora was represented. The genre created several male superstars. However, few women were able to penetrate the male-dominated soca industry. That is, until the mid-90s. A popular hotel and club band from Barbados named Square One decided to produce their own material. Their lead singer, a fresh-faced 20-something-year-old named Alison Hines. Her vocals were powerful, her stage presence commanding, and her moves unforgettable. Her entree changed the face of the entire genre. Suddenly, every band in the Caribbean required a female lead. Female solo artists from every island in the archipelago appeared in recording studios, ready to tell their stories through soca music. Alison Hines did not merely push the door open. She removed its hinges and threw it away. With a catalog of hits spanning three decades and tours around the globe spreading the message of soca, Alison Hines has been appropriately dubbed the Queen of Soca. I had the honor of conversing with her about her storied career in music and her plans to expand the Alison Hines empire through fashion among other things. This is the story, thus far, of Alison Hines, the Queen of Soka. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Undisputed, Her Royal Highness, the Queen of Soca, and all other genres as far as I'm concerned, Alison Hines, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Crispin. I do appreciate the, the lovely intro. <laughs> of course, of course. Fit for a queen. Yes, yes. And the queen, the queen approves. <laughs> Tell us about your childhood. I know you grew up in London for the first few years of your life. Do you have memories of uh, London? I do. Um, being born in East London and growing up there, it was, you know, I grew up in majority white neighborhood, went to school, majority white school. Um, most of my friends were white. Um, so it, it, it was different as a childhood because... I actually felt kind of invisible as a kid. Um, I didn't feel as though I was pretty. I didn't feel as though I was, you know, all the boys would 
kind of go after my friends. I was never really considered. Um, so I was very, very shy, painfully shy. And um, so it was, it was, it was a mixed bag growing up in growing up in England. There was actually a lot of quite open racism as well. I mean, it's still there's still racism. There's always going to be, but it was you know people would actually shout racial slurs. White people would actually shout racial slurs, and um, you know, kids, adults, it didn't really matter. And so it was, yeah, it was it was a very mixed kind of thing. That it was stuff that was good about it, but there was also stuff that was just very challenging and tough for a black kid, British born, growing up in England. Mm -hmm. Was the dream always music, you know, coming up in London, or was there something that little Ali wanted to do before? Music was always a part of my life. From the time I was a kid, I was in the choir at primary school. Um, I would. I was also a latchkey kid from a very early age. I had a key from the time I was like, I want to say like seven, eight years old, because my parents, uh, my dad, who has since passed away, but he was, um, he used to work shift. So one week he would work day shift, and next week he would work nights. So and my mom was working uh, nine to five, and so sometimes my parents wouldn't be home as yet when I come home from school. So I had to have a key to let myself in and, you know, kind of be there until whichever parent got home first. So music has always been a part of my life. Um, I was in the choir uh, at school. And when I would come home from school, being a latchkey kid and having my own key from a very early age, once I got home, I would turn on the radio. And so the radio would actually help to keep me company because I'm in the house by myself and, you know, kids afraid of the dark and that kind of stuff. So the the, the radio kept my company. But, and I really, but I love music. And so I knew all the songs on the radio, top 100, top 50, top 20, top 10, top everything. There was a show called Top of the Pops, actually. Top of the Pops. Yeah, yeah, that I used to watch religiously just to see, you know, the hottest acts. If you, it was only the hottest acts that would be on Top of the Pops. And my dad used to, we had a record player. And we had, you know, things called LPs because there's a whole generation. There's a couple <laughs> of generations that know nothing about LPs and Laser 45s. Discs. And um, a record player with an arm. <laughs> and my dad used to, you know, like on weekends, he would play music. He would play like we had the Exodus album, which was like a rite of passage for every West Indian household to have the Exodus album, Bob Marley's Exodus album. And then my dad had like Brooke Benton and George Benson and that kind of stuff. And. I loved when he would like put on records and we would just, you know, be sick. I would be singing, singing along and we would be playing music. And I, I love that. And so, so music has always been a part of my life. And as a kid, I used to um, be in my mirror with a brush and um, imagining 
that I'm on stage and thousands of people are in front of me and I'm singing my heart out. And yeah, I I had that dream from a kid. Wonderful. So there was no like eureka moment. It was just always there being cultivated. Yeah. Yeah. Music has always, I've always been, that's one of my God-given talents to be able to sing. And I loved singing, always did and always will. And um, yeah, it's, it's always been a part of me. I've always been that walking, going around the house singing. I still do it up to now. Sometimes I'm singing and I don't even know that I'm doing it. I'm in the supermarket shopping and singing. I'll be in the bank. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I will sing anywhere just to myself or a song comes into my head or you know, something like that. But yes, it has always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So at age 11, you are whisked away to Barbados, which is the yes. uh, birth country of your parents. What was that change in culture like? I had started to come to Barbados a couple of years before that. My mom and I would come to Barbados on vacation. My dad never came. And I actually never really knew why he didn't why he didn't travel with us at that point in time but um my mom and i would come every year during summer and spend six weeks and i so that's when my real cultural culture shock happened on my first trip to barbados and you know adjusting to everything to you know the tap water tasted different <laughs> the type of drinks that they had here, you know, plus and malt, you know, that's an acquired taste. I was, you know, I knew about Coke and Sprite and those kinds of things. Mommy, what's Moby? Uh, yes, all of that, all of that. Um, the mosquitoes, um, discovering what a centipede was, um, all of these things. But what really won me over from the beginning, of course, was the beaches. Oh, my gosh, the beach and the sea, I, I, I could not believe what I was seeing. I could not believe that water existed that was so clear and such a beautiful blue and the sky and the weather and the sun. And I was like, this is real. Like, <laughs> this really exists. And then I also got to meet my, I actually got to meet my dad's side of the family as well as my mother's side of the family as well. And I got to meet like cousins and aunts and uncles. And so from that first trip, having all of that and then the beauty of Barbie, I fell in love with, I fell in love with the island. I absolutely fell in love with the island from the first trip. And when we had to go back, I, I like really did not want to go back to the point of, my that was that was back in the day when he used to dress up to travel. Oh yeah, <laughs> and everybody oh, was yeah. special, and like the whole family would come to the airport to see you off. Or, or, or when you arrived. Or when you arrived, right? The whole family coming, and I remember my aunts and my uncles and my cousins would come up to the airport, and I would be playing with my cousins in the airport, and then the flight would call, and as soon as that flight was called. I'll burst into tears, like completely burst into tears and bawl and cry. I mean, cry to the point of, you know, the hitching and the snot coming on my nose. Like, I did not want to go back to England. I really did not. And 
I would look forward to coming to Barbados every year. And then in 1981, when I came, wait, we came for our annual visit. And coming down to the end of it, my mom said to me, um, she basically told me that we're going we're gonna to be staying in Barbados because I didn't have any idea. I, I did not know that, you know, my mom was planning that, you know, because things weren't, weren't going well with the marriage. And, um, but I didn't know I was a kid and it wasn't, you know, I guess they kept that away from me because it wasn't for me to, you know, be involved in, in, in that. And, um, so you are an only child. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm the only child that my parents had. Um, but my dad went on years later, um, to have a son. So I do have a brother, uh, that lives in England. Okay. Yeah, so my mom told me um, that we were going to stay, that we were going to be living here. And I wasn't sure that I heard her correctly because I was like, are you sure? Like, you're messing with me? This better not be like a joke because this would not be a good joke. And um, she was like, no, you're going to stay. She said, but she was going to fly back up because she had a few things that she had to, a few, you know, loose ends that she had to tie up. And then she was coming back. So I stayed with my with my aunt and my my great uncle and my I call her my I called her my aunt, um, his wife and my cousins. And I stayed with them for the while my mom went back up to, to England and she came back and we started living in Barbados. I was happy as a clap. <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating, fascinating story. <laughs> Now, fast forward, you're now in your teen years, Uh and this is the late 80s, early 90s. Dancehall and reggae are colossal. I can't even say huge. Right. How did you get into soca? Did you find soca? Did soca find you? (laughs) I think soca, I think soca found me because once I was living here, going to school here, and being now, becoming a Bajan, a Bajan teenager, I discovered, I then really discovered like reggae and dancehall and soca. And um, at that time would have been, you know, the Mighty Griner would have been the perennial road march um, winner Mm -hmm. and Mighty Gabby. And, you know, there were all of these local performers, Calypsonians and, and so on. And I was hearing this music on the radio and loving, you know, really embracing this music. And um, reggae too, more so, because in England, I was very much a British kid. I was into alternative rock. I was into, like, I was into, like, pop music. I loved ABBA. I was into the police. Uh Um, You know, and the British rock scene. There was some groups like Bad Manners and Madness and all of these different groups. Adam and the Ants. Queen. I love Queen till today. I love Queen. So coming to Barbados and being exposed now to Caribbean music, it was great music. So it didn't matter to me. I didn't miss pop music i didn't miss you know i i embraced everything i remember playing the first year i played mass with my my mom um when we played mass for crop over i don't remember the band that we were in i just remember being on the road in this 
with his big headpiece on and his son being real hot. <laughs> and but I had a I I really you know like I enjoyed it. That was my very first time. But the 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 music was the music definitely um you know it definitely captured me. Wonderful, wonderful. So then you end up in a little tiny band, you know, tiny band <laughs> called Square One. <laughs> um, side note, the cover for In Full Bloom, I thought that was the most artistic thing that I've ever seen, even at, even at a young age. So you end up in Square One. Tell us about your, not just your, your entrance, but your experience with Square One. Well, the thing was, I had just left school. Uh, as I said, I was into soca and reggae and everything. And I saw Anderson Armstrong, young blood, who is now just blood. And um, he was one of the youngest Calypsonians on the scene at the time. And I had a little crush on him. So I wanted to go and see him perform. And there was this event that was happening at Folkestone Park um in St. James. So I got the bus and I went to the to the park and saw the show and so on and I got the opportunity to meet him and we started talking and um you know we exchanged numbers and we started talking and then we kinda we, we, we kinda like lost contact for a little bit and then um we reconnected again and in one of our phone conversations, Andy said to me, we were talking about music, you know, singing and so on. And obviously I expressed to him that, you know, I like singing. And he was like, well, sing something to me on the phone. Sing something, no, sing something for him. I want to hear your voice. I was like, what? He was like, sing something, sing anything. I care, sing something. So I sang Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder. Mm. And... He, Andy was impressed. He was like, yeah, you could sing. You could really sing. And then the talk came and he was like, you should enter. We have a, a local talent competition, the Richest 13 talent competition. And he entered me in the competition because I would have never done it. I was too shy to do that. So he did it. He entered me in the competition. A bit presumptuous. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, no, you need to go in this competition. You need to say, come. And he helped me to choose my songs. And he was there. He helped me to, um, he came to my rehearsals. You know, he gave me guidance, all of that. And long story short, I got to the finals and I placed third. And um, after the competition, he then said to me, he said, um, well, I'm, I'm in this, I, we have this band called Square One. And we're looking for a female vocalist. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm going to take this opportunity and run with it. I don't know where it's going to go, but I want to sing. Even though I was still quite shy then. And um, I joined the band. And um, the guys had to meet my mom because I was, I was the youngest and I was the only female. So... They had to meet my mom, and my mom let them know what was expected of them, uh, that they were expected to make sure and look after me and take care of me and make sure that, you know, nothing untoward happened to me. I can just imagine that conversation with a Bayesian mother. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My mother, my mother's no joke. <laughs> and um, 
she's my mother my mom is a lovely woman but she's she could be she very very no nonsense and very to the point when you know when she's ready and so she made it very clear to them what was expected of them and they listened and they understood and they were like no problem and my experience with square one through how we started as a little unknown band right through to exploding yeah becoming a and the thing is it didn't happen overnight what people don't realize and which i didn't even think about until i was talking to george one of the former um members of square one that we were together for 10 years before ragamuffin happened no kidding yeah i joined the band in 87 wow i was 17 years old and it was ragamuffin was in 96 we were a hotel band for a number of years and then we were a club band for a number of years and ragamuffin and from ragamuffin then we really started to generate hits and that's where the touring part but we had already been together for 10 years now was it that you weren't creating original music before that or you just you guys just always had these great songs but didn't you know you hadn't put them out no we were we were creating songs before because ragamuffin would be our first major hit that would be the defining song that's the song that made the region know that there was a band called square one not mm-hmm. even so much allison hines but that there was a band called square one we had re- we had um released quite a few songs before that but they were popular within barbados so in the bajan market more so but ragamuffin was definitely our first major hit and that just took so, off or- organically, just, you know, just yes, went from island to island yeah. to island to island. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, we kept churning out hits then after that, year after year. You know, we, we really we really became a hit machine. And, you know, great music was coming out. And, you know, that's where the touring and so on really grew from there. And we were independent. We weren't, we were on Ice, Ice Records, Eddie Grant's label for a brief time and it was right after we left the label and we decided that we wanted to sink or swim our you know we wanted to to take control we wanted to be executive producer of our own stuff that ragamuffin came into being now at the time when you exploded like i said 1996 Mm -hmm. 1997 there were virtually no superstar females in soca uh-huh. Did you realize at the time that you were redefining the role of women in soca? And w- were you conscious of that? Like, is that something that you set out to do? Or is it just, you know, you were being Allison? I was just being, I was actually just learning Allison. Mm. And I had no idea as to what, that what I was doing was going to change help change the face of soca music and and the and the landscape of it in terms of encouraging other females to really come into the fray all i knew 
was I loved singing. I loved performing. By the time Ragamuffin came into being, I had gotten over, you know, my shyness. And I had had a few years to really hone my art, improve my performance, uh, you know, learn how to work an audience. And because we were playing, um, when we were on the hotel circuit, we were working five, six, we were working six, seven nights a week. And then we did a gradual crossover to the club circuit. And again, we were working six, seven nights a week on the club circuit. So we, I was, we were working, we were constantly working. So in doing that, we were able to, to get, you know, to get that chemistry between us as musicians um, and as the band and that then, you know, so by the time we, we started to be recognized, we already had experience under our belt. Um, we still had some learning to do, understandably, but we were already on our way. We already had some experience. And um, I did. I had no idea. All I knew is that I wanted to, every time I hit the stage, I wanted to make sure that people had the best possible time. That is what my focus was. It wasn't about, you know, being cute. It wasn't about... Oh, I'm so pretty. It was, it was not, it was like, it wasn't even, it wasn't consciously about, well, I'm going to be, you know, the female to, to, you know, trailblazer. None of that was in my head. All I wanted to do was perform to the best of my ability, have great music under my belt and just go out there and entertain people as Allison and also with the band because we all supported each other. So no, I, it wasn't something that was consciously done. It, it happened the way it happened. Mm-hmm. And of course we, we spoke about, you know, square one having a number of hits, but around 1999, here comes a monster for Luma. <laughs> and obviously it was a, well, tell the story about how the, the, the song came about because what I've realized is that many people don't know the origin of the song. Mm-hmm. We had a tour, our first tour to Suriname, and what we would what we would do sometimes as a band is find out what's the most popular local song in that particular market, and we would try to, or what are the you know was the top five, and we might try to learn you know two or three of the songs. Because it really gives you an extra connect to that audience. If you learn songs that are really either particularly indigenous to that population um, or the local songs that are really only local within that country and they wouldn't expect for, you know, a band from outside to really know that. And it, it, you know, it just, it gives you that connection. And so the promoters sent this song to us for Luma. And we listened to it, and I was like, okay, I don't even know what language this is. I, you know, like, we have no idea. It was very organic, um, mostly, like, per- percussion. It really, it's really drums and percussion and vocals is the original. And the original is, is, is up um, on YouTube. And we said, okay, well, we need to. So the musicians worked on the musical side of things. 
and I I you know sat with it and listened to it to get the get to get it phonetically correct because there wasn't anyone that I could go to you know that I knew I don't, I didn't even know what language it was but I learned it and we went to Suriname and we were there for a week and we had media to do leading up to the actual show and the promoter had done such an excellent job our music was also popular in Suriname too our other our, our own square one's own music and so when we landed in Suriname we were superstars we had you know um five five um security assigned to us five bodyguards assigned to us assigned to the band um i think they were actually security that were used part of the security that would um guard the leader of Suriname has a prime minister or a president not sure uh, whichever yeah anyway they came from they came from like his they were that that type where if we t- let's let's say we went out to to lunch somewhere at a restaurant, we were invited out to lunch. Two of the you know a couple of the guys would get out. They would go and case the place, make sure everything was secure. So we had to stay and wait in the transportation. Once they got the all clear, we would be allowed then to go inside, and they would place themselves strategically um, at different different areas to make sure that we were safe. Like it was that kind of security must have blown you guys mind oh absolutely absolutely so we um so the the tour was extremely successful um we did the performance the show was at like this huge gymnasium it was sold out it was live on radio and it was live on tv so the whole of Suriname either heard or saw this concert. And um, when we performed the song, people at, like lost their ever-loving minds. It, it was crazy. It really, really was. Because they, they didn't know it was coming, right? The way the recording starts. Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> and then... They knew. They knew. They knew. They uh, knew. And, they, and then you said, this one is special. Expect. Yes. <laughs> They didn't expect that a band from the Eastern Caribbean would be would play a song like that song is very indigenous to Suriname. So it's not a pop song. It's not, you know, a song that was like known throughout the region that came from Suriname. It was specific to Suriname, to Surinamese people. So when we started to play that song, they just about fell out in that concert hall. Like, it was absolute madness inside of there. And um, so the, the tour was hugely successful. We went back to Barbados and we decided we would start to play the song, like throw it into the set, you know? So we started playing it when we played the different clubs, different events, and we had a, a a fan following, which um, a lot of bands, well, a lot of artists here now in Barbados, because we don't really have a club circuit anymore, you know, they don't have the opportunity to really build a solid, like, local 
following that is going to go everywhere with you. No test matter test the you material. Are. Yeah, it is, you know, and it's, it's very social media driven, et cetera, et cetera. So we had, you know, a hardcore fan base that would follow us wherever we went. And a lot of the bands did too, Crossfire, Coalition. And we started playing this song. And the fans actually came to us and they were like, whatever this song is, whatever it's saying, we don't know, but we love it. Y'all need to record this song. And we were in the process of recording that year's album because, you know, we would do albums annually. But we had no intention of recording Faluma. Like the song, we literally just learned it for the, for the, um, for the tour. And so then now, you know, people coming at us all the time. Y'all need to record this song. Y'all need to record this song. So then we actually had to have that conversation. Like, are we gonna are we gonna record this song? Because the album at that time was like almost done, and we're like, all right, we we'll record it. We can record it. And we actually flew in the original artist to come in and be a part of the recording because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we really got it right. And we released Faluma and the rest is history because people just absolutely completely, like just went mad for this song. I couldn't, I could not, we could not have predicted that Faluma not only would have the kind of effect that it had on people but that it would go on to become a classic which it is no like is there's no way that we could have possibly predicted that that song just it had a life it had and has a life of its own and it speaks to people in a a very because when I hear people talk about Faluma, everybody kind of says the same thing. It's like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about that song that when it comes on, it just grabs you and you just like have to get on the dance floor and just whine as much as you possibly can. These are all DJs, facts. Yeah, DJs tell me all the time, you want to get a party started and you find that, you know, things looking a little thing put on Faluma, guaranteed that you will get people on the dance floor that's it, it, party start, party start, so it's... Is there translation? Do you know the translation for for Faluma? There's no literal translation for the song, because even though Dutch is the first language of Suriname, um, this is not in Dutch. This mm. is in a, a language that, like an indigenous language that actually isn't even spoken by all Surinamese. Wow. So that's why I'm saying that this, this Faluma is a very, it's a, like a, it's like a local folk song and it's been around for like a, a lot of years. So it's, it's something that was so, is so, I guess, deep to Suriname. The fact that we learned that song and came and played it, you know, has given, gave Square One a connection to Serena. And you know that I've never had the opportunity to revisit. You you have to. you In all of these years? 
after 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 making their folk song world yeah. known worldwide, I think you, you owe them a visit. I absolutely do, and we've been trying to, we've been trying to, but I think I think that is something that needs to happen. And if it doesn't happen this year, 2021, 2022, it needs to happen. I think it, that'd be I such believe... a moment to revisit. That'd be such a moment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like I. That would be amazing. That would be truly, truly, truly amazing. But Philoma not only um, it was not only popular in the Caribbean uh, in terms of the archipelago, the islands. But tell us about Guatemala. Yes. Yeah, we found out that Philoma uh, was number one in Guatemala for like months. <laughs> I'm like, how in the hell is a song? Number one for months, like months. I'm In a like, language that they don't speak. Yes, and neither do we. But you know, um, and then we actually we actually went to Guatemala um, and performed there. And again, we were like superstars when we landed in Guatemala. It was it was crazy. It was crazy. They did a um, we had a a motorcade. And there were people lining the streets, and I I could not believe it. I really could not believe it. I'm like, this is crazy. This is absolute. Faluma is throughout Latin America, is Guatemala, is in Mexico. Um, actually, later down, after I became a solo artist, I went to Chetumal, a city called Chetumal in Mexico, for their carnival, and. Faluma was huge there, but they didn't know the artist. They just knew the song. And when I went and performed, it was it was crazy. Like afterwards, like everybody, I signed autographs and took pictures for like the next hour and a half. Like it was nuts. Wow, wow! These these, these this little crew of kids from Barbados changing the world. Yeah. Definitely. You guys penetrated the ironclad wall that was, uh, I should say seemingly ironclad wall, that was Trinidad, uh, the Trinidad soca industry. And you did it brilliantly with Basil D. Another Trinidadian uh, writer pointed out to me that here is it, Square One came in with a Trinidadian word, Basil D., a word that uh-huh. is, you know, mostly used in Trinidad, and then referring to places in Trinidad like Maruga, and that song, to his estimation, was the one that really, although Square One was popular indeed, it really solidified uh, Square One and Alison Hines as a major part of the ethos that is the wider world of soca. Tell us about the song. Well, the song was written by Terry, Mexican author who was the musical director of the band and the writer who has written the most songs for me in in my entire career because just most of what I would have uh, songs that I would have had during my square one years, Terry wrote. Um, there's There's like one or two writers that would have written stuff in between. Peter Ram, I think, uh, Gabby had written one. There's a couple of other writers. Um, uh, Onion from 
burning yes. flames. But Terry was the person that really wrote the bulk of my songs. I, 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 Basil D, um, all of these things. And he used to get his inspiration when we would go to Trinidad for Carnival. And just being a part, you know, going to all the events, being on all of these shows, um, taking in, you know, the culture, the people, and the vibe, and the energy. And he decided, he was like, I want to write a song that is just for, that is specifically geared towards Trinidadians. And we are going to release it in Trinidad. We're not going to release it anywhere else. We're just going to release it in Trinidad for Carnival. And that was the plan. And he created Iron Basidi. And yes, purposely used Basidi because it is a Trini word. And um, Maruga. Now, Maruga is one of the furthest places that you could go in Trinidad. Yes. <laughs> like, I've never, I've, I've been trying to get to Maruga for years now. I ain't get there yet. But I'm going to. That's another, that's another one I have to put on my bucket list. I need to go to Maruga. And we recorded this song. And uh, where did we record this? We recorded it. Uh, Basil D was done by Chamber Studios. Yes, Nicholas Branca. Branca. Yeah. Branca. And um, I, we went to Trinidad that year. And of course, you know, we would do media. We do all the radio and all of that there. And we released the song. And Trinis fell in love with it completely. Because it was, you know, he talked about the Maruga man. Up to now, you know, the Maruga man. Who's this Maruga? You know how much fellas from Maruga that I've met? And they're like, I is the Maruga man in Alison Hines truth. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, so we released the song. And, you know, it had legs. And then we started getting getting um you know calls and stuff from Barbados what's this song boy we love this song that you what song are you talking about Basil D man we like this song huh so the song then with its legs came to Barbados then it went and then went through the rest of the region and everywhere else people we did not expect that this song would have been embraced by Caribbean people everywhere. Well, Caribbean people yeah. love a good double entendre, so. Well, true, true, true. And actually, the double entendre sometimes, like, like completely evades people to, uh, it was, is the way that the song was written, it was written so well. And we, we just did not expect that it would have, like, kind of, and as fast as it did, because it just like it just took off and again it's a song that has become a classic it's a song that um actually recently um i don't know if you know about vibes with voicey Mm -hmm. um voice the artist right he on his um on his ig he has he's been doing this um every thursday Thursday yes okay yes i do know right i do know so he just um, he had a, a soca competition for you know young up and coming artists and so on, and 
one of the nights I think they had to uh, the artists had to do the contestants had to do songs from 2000 or later or sorry or earlier my bad so so from 2000 back they could pick a song and perform it and I remember talking to voice and voice was like well you know I figured that maybe one or two people would maybe choose the same song but there's a ton of songs from like the 90s you know up to 2000 that people could choose from it so happened and I didn't actually get to watch it but I was told after the fact that let's say there were 20 contestants 15 of them sang Iron Basidi wow and then one girl sang Faluma and somebody else sang another Bajan song um, I think it was Edwin I think it was Pump Me Up or something like that and I was that blew me that that really that blew me away well the Bajan the Bajan invasion was real you know oh it was real it was it real it was real and these bear in mind that these are this is this is this is this is voice. These are Trinidadian, you know, up and coming. They're they're pretty. They're young, but they've grown up on, you know, they would have been kids when that music would have when I would have created when that music would have been made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like all of these kids chose Iron Basidi, and I was like, that is crazy to me. That is crazy, and people think they assume that i'm from trinidad i could see I that i get that a lot a lot in jamaica they assume that i am trinidadian and i'm like no <laughs> barbados <laughs> but it's it is that really blew me away because, because so so cuz only like, i mean in a real sense mm-hmm. so cuz only now really making the rounds in jamaica yes it's a yep, it's a beautiful yep, yep. thing, but Jamaica has really, within the last especially five years, embraced soca, at yes. you know just at a different level. Because at the time that um, because when Byron Lee was alive, he he was the person that brought carnival the concept to Jamaica. Indeed, it was Byron Lee who brought brought carnival. And it was really an uptown thing at that time. And he used to book Square One every year to perform for all the different events. And, you know, so we were also a part of that growth and of people, um, you know, the DJ Rise and the Top Class Bubbler. You know, those songs were created again. Well, Top Class Bubbler was written by Peter Ram. DJ Rai was written by Terry. And... He was influenced by dancehall, Dance and he was like, "There has to be a way to make soca that is still gonna be palatable to the Jamaican ear." So you use the, the vernacular, some of this. Use the vernacular and the bass line. You know, you you break it down to drum and bass, um, and it it appeals to to that market. And we were he, we were hugely successful with that. Interesting. Wow. Before we get off music, I want to ask you about two more songs. I mean, it's, 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 it's imperative. Right. <laughs> Number one, uh, I liken this song to 
when you're when people are performing at the Apollo, and the comedians have even commented about this, right? When you're at the Apollo and you're singing a song and things are not going well, all you have to do is throw the word Jesus in there. <laughs> and that's how you win the crowd back. I th- I've seen this on more than one occasion where an artist is not doing quite well on stage and they draw for the magic card. All they say is pass, hey! And they start and they sing togetherness. Togetherness is like the magic card for any artist that is not doing well on stage. Yep. Yep. Tell us about this yep. song. It's such a, it's literally, you know, I mean, it's a part of every household. Tell us about togetherness. How did that song, um, how was that no. birthed? That was a song that was also done at Chambers, um, Chambers Studios. Um, big up Nicholas Branca. Um, Branca was the producer for the 90s. Him and Chris Allman of Slam City Studios. But n- more Nicholas. Nicholas was Crossfire, Square One, um, you know, Red Plastic Bag. Like, w- he was just churning um um the song by um speedy hold your bam 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 that came out of chamber studios like he was just oh he was he was he was in the cut at that point and togetherness was written by a guy named daddy iroy now iroy is actually rihanna's one of rihanna's uncles okay um, of course, at the time, you know, Rihanna was, was still Robin. nowhere <laughs> yet. She wasn't around us yet. And he brought this song. Uh, Terry told me about the song and, you know, he really loved the song and stuff. And the song started from Jump and Let Them See, Love and Unity, One Big Family, Together. And that's where the song started with the chorus and then into the rest of it. The first thing, and the fighting, and the war, everything. So, Terry and Nicholas were together, creating the music, and so on. And we put down the vocal. Terry would produce all of my all of my vocals. So, we, we, we had the intro. We had, like, a musical intro. Nicholas had created this musical intro. And then we would come in with Jump and Let Them See, Love and Unity, One Big Family, and down the song, down the song from there. And after we had recorded, because what we would do is we would record the song and then put the intro. We would not necessarily do the intro thing. Mm-hmm. So we were at that point and Terry was like, I don't want, he didn't want a speaking intro. He wanted a singing intro at the top. And one of the things that he had noticed as a writer and like in music and watching people, how people, what people respond to, because Terry was always very observant. He would always watch to see, you know, what people respond to any fat, what, what part of the song is, 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 you know, is, is like strength. And one of the things he noticed is that people like to sing high, like they do. They, whether you can sing or not, it don't matter. They won't know that they're singing high. Mm-hmm. So he decided, all right, 
we gotta come back and deal with this intro. He got he gotta go home and kinda deal with this and come back. And the intro that he came back with was um was Pussy, let me see you raise your hand and put them in the air, put them in the air. Hi, hi. That was and for me, without that intro, togetherness is not togetherness. Mm-hmm. It is it that intro made the song. And once we put that intro, it was like we ain't adding nothing on top. We ain't, we ain't now putting nothing in front of that. So it's just going to be tick, 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 pause straight in, straight in. And that's the only song that I have like that. And so effective because it doesn't have an intro. It ain't got no, there's no musical anything before I start to sing. These songs is just coming and hit you in your face one time. Blast. It's great for DJs because I've seen it. I've seen him use it to transition from genre, yes. as transition genres. You know, you yep. you can like literally end a slow reggae song and just tick, yep. tick, tick, bam. Yep, yep. And people know that tick, tick, tick. That's now become a, it's, it's it's a signature because they know it when they hear it. When they hear that, and I've heard DJs like remix it and go tick, 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 and just tick, 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 and you tick, 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 and pee, and they know what's coming. They know what is coming. And it's like, how do you make a three count a signature sound? But that's what together, that's, that's what happened. And again, song came out and people loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. It, 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 it is a song for me. Togetherness really came into its own after that crop over, after that season. Because people people really loved it, but we had other songs out as well. So I think Togetherness really got its legs after that crop over season when we were now touring. And that outside audience really gravitated towards that song. And it up until now, I step on any stage anywhere in the world and I do that song. And you see the transformation. Like the audiences get fresh life all over again. And most of the time, I would put it like near the end of my set. And people have been, you know, they've already been partying and they've been dancing and everything. And they get, we get to a posse and everybody is like, yeah, boy, fat, fresh again. <laughs> we ready again. That's why I told you people, people draw the magic card when they were, you know, whether things are going right or especially wrong. You just say posse. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, it's, it is, it is, def- it's a, that's again, it's, it's a classic. And there are reasons, the reason why these songs have become classics is because they have they were they were created so well to begin with and they have stood the test of time. Those songs gonna outlast me. Mm-hmm. Those songs will outlast me. They ain't going nowhere. And they could stand up next to any song that has been that has been recently created. Agreed. They can stand up right next to anything. Even stuff that I would have created, that I, you know, new stuff that I would have done, whatever it is, they stand up 
without hesitation. Agreed. So the last monster I'm going to ask you about is Roll It. Yes. Which has become a global hit, not just regional, yes. not just soca. We've been debating a lot. I find myself debating a lot on, but not debating, discussing, especially on Clubhouse. And to our estimation, the five soca songs right. that have crossed over into mainstream are yes. Arrows Feeling Hot, Hot, Hot. Yes. Um, Tempted to Touch by Rupee. Yes. The Baha Men uh, Who Let the Dogs Out. Yes. Kevin Little's. Yes. Turn Me On. Turn Me On. And Your Roll It Gal. Mm-hmm. Those are the five that we say have crossed over into the mainstream. Right. Tell us about Roll It Gal. Roll It Gal, my previous manager, when I was, after I had, had my daughter and I was off the road, and I wanted to be off the road for a year because I wanted to, you know, kind of have that time to, to bond with my with my baby daughter at the time and I was ready I was actually ready to like just come off the road and you know I had been taught by that time I had been touring consistently then from like 97 right through to 2004 when I had her and so I was at that point where I was like okay yeah I'm ready to have a family I'm ready to just you know kind of slow down for a bit and then you know, come back out. And I made the decision during that time that I wasn't going to go back with the band, that I was going to be a solo act. So all of that happened during that time. And my, so I got management and my management at the time was like, you know, we need us, we need to get a song that is going to really signal the return of the queen. And he used to get rhythms uh, from different people, different producers and stuff. And uh, one of those producers was Shell Shock, who has since passed away. And he, at the time, was working with Ecstatic, with Marshall. But he was always, you know, he was a producer, so he was always creating beats and so on. And he would, like, do a CD and send to, to my management and be like, okay, you know, this is... Just, you know, listen to them, see what you like, if you like anything, etc. And there was a piece of music, and I remember my manager called me, and he played this piece of music over the phone. He said, if we get the right song on this music, it will be a hit. And I was like, all right. So Natalie Burke, who was heavily he was she was into chanting then and she was into into soca and stuff at that point in time weakness for sweetness um, fame weakness for sweetness correct <laughs> she had a friend uh called Chantal lane and at the time Chantal was you know she was just you know there in school and doing her thing and natalie had a conversation with my manager at the time with my former manager let me say and she wanted to introduce him to Chantal because apparently Chantal was writing stuff, but you know she was unknown at the time, and she felt like he should be introduced to her. So he had, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was a birthday party or something at his house, and invited them. It was some kind of event, some kind of get together, and so Natalie went, took Chantal, 
they were introduced. I got the rest of the story then years later from Chantal that she and Van went into the studio. He had a studio. He had a two. He lived in a two-story house. He lived upstairs, and he had like a studio downstairs. So he said, "Okay, let's go down to the studio. Let you listen to some music. You know, some beats. If there's anything there that you like." So Chantal told me that you know she was listening through somebody, and then she heard this 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 music, and she was like, "That that music. That's that's hot. That be that that beat is hot. You know, can I get that?" And he was like. No, 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 you can't get that one. You know, listen to something else. You know, there's other stuff there that you can listen to. And he skipped, you know, went on to some other stuff. But she told me that that beat was like, that was haunting her. She was like, I got to write on this. I need this. And he was called back. He was called upstairs. So she was like, okay, cool. You know, he went up. She was like, I need to get this beat. But, you know, on the track list, Nothing was named, so everything just had numbers or whatever. Just a, what track one, track two, and she couldn't remember which track it was. So she was like, "Crap!" It's like, but I got to get. I need to get this this beat. So she started. She was like, "Nah, I gotta get this," and she started to like quickly run through, and she got a C, a, a blank CD, and she ran through and kept running through, running through, running through, and she found it and she ripped it one time. She, she burned like, the nah, man's I beat. Get this. She burned our beat and she was like good and she went home and she wrote this song she's she's she was then a, a big fan and she still is and i didn't know her that i didn't know her really i didn't know her at all really i remember chris allman slam city studios he called me he said allison i got a song here for you to listen to so i went to the studio and i listened to the song and i fell in love with the song immediately like so immediate that i wanted to record it like right then and there so did she do her own scratch vocal yes she did her own demo wow i heard it and i was like oh my god this song is ridiculous this is like this is so like she just hit the nail on the head i was like damn and she got in, you know, obviously got in contact with my former manager, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure he was entertained um, that she had burned it. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm quite <laughs> sure. But the song, he, he couldn't deny the song. He couldn't couldn't deny the song. So I did go ahead and record it. I recorded that track in one. It didn't take me long to record, to do the lead. Like, I did the lead in one. Like, I went in. I said to Chris... All right, I just want, I want to put on a demo on this. I just want to put on a demo. And when I came out, Chris looked at me. I was like, um, I thought he was putting on a demo, though. That's, that's the vocal there. Like, that's it. That's the vocal. <laughs> and it was, like, it was that easy. It was not hard to create this song. Background vocals and everything. I remember going to the studio song mix and mastered andrew denny did the mix and mastering and did a boss job and i remember listening to it in my truck at the time and this thing sounded so good but i was like but this is not a soca song if you take my vocal off of it the beat under it is a pop beat it's not a soca beat indeed it's a it's a pop beat 
but the vocal that I put on top of it is what which what gives it the Caribbean energy and vibe. You know what I mean? And anyway, I went to the studio. I was going to Hot 95.3, I believe, with John Doe. And released the song. And literally within like a couple of days, people was hitting me up. Alison, we love this song. Oh my God, this song, this song, this song, this song, this song. And again, it was an absolute runaway hit. It was a runaway hit. And um, the unfortunate thing about the song is that I found out after the fact that Chantal was not compensated for the song. Oh no. Um, I trusted my former manager to do what needed to be done and it wasn't. And then things went really Chantal and I were not in contact, did not really speak to each other for like years after. And it was because I was told that because she she eventually did a remake of the song she did she redid it for her first album Chantelligence and it was the first single released and so it jived with mine and that was a whole thing that went down because my song my my the original was on mainstream radio it was everywhere and then she released the first her first single which was the same song what I did not know, which I found out, and I'm talking like real years later, Chantal and I connected and I said, you know, I want for us to get this this whole, you know, this bad blood and everything sorted because I, I, I don't like it. I never did. I was told by my manager, sorry, my former manager, that you just wanted to do whatever it is that you wanted to do and you didn't really care. And, you know, it was a greed thing, basically. Not knowing that she was never compensated for her song. So when she got on the label, they then said, well, the, the way for you to make money off of this song is for you to redo it and release it. And that way you can at least get compensated. You can be compensated, you know, through royalties, etc. And when I found that out, I was because this was this was after I had he he was then my he was my former management by that time. I was I was I was disgusted. I was I could not believe that that is what had happened and that she was taken advantage of. And I had no idea, none whatsoever. And she was being told stuff on her side. I was being told stuff on my side. And she and I never spoke. We never spoke to each other. Nothing would ever, you know, ever try. Had we had the opportunity to speak, I think that we would have been able to get past that and it would have been much, you know, we would have been able to kind of work it out much better. And when she and I connected, that's when she told me the story of how she got the beat. Because I was told that he was the one that gave it to her and, you know, told her what to do and what to write and all of this. And then I found out that it was something completely different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the music business. Oh my gosh, let me tell you. So Chantal and, and I are now 
really good we're, we're good friends now like she and she's still a big fan of mine and i'm a fan of her she's found success music. Huh? and she's definitely found success yeah and all of that time i would have liked to have been able to feel better about her success you know, mm-hmm. you understand? Mm-hmm. But because of how things went so, got so screwed up, you know, I I couldn't, I couldn't be that person at the time. And I regret that. I am, I'm, my regret is that we did not, she and I did not speak directly. That was my regret. Right. That I just trusted my former manager that he was going to do because he had been in the business for so long. And, you know, I figured he was doing what he was, you know, and then I found, I, 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 and he's my former manager because I found out other stuff too. And then I was like, all right, yeah, is yeah. Time for you to go. The music business, (laughs) the music business. How are you able to balance the, cause clearly there's a conscious side to you. Um, you are a highly intelligent person, and how do you balance that consciousness with you know the sexy side of you? Because many people think that those two cannot exist in the same world. Clearly, they can, and we've seen you on stage, and you know guys come up and try to whine, but you always control your stage, and you always leave with the same grace and class that you came with. I'm asking this question because you know sometimes in soca people have. Uh, this stereotype of uh, uh, this bad energy toward female artists. Oh, why she had a wine like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. How are you and how are, are artists able to do that uh, in terms of giving advice? Well, for me personally, I have always held myself to a certain standard. And that's, that was drilled into me by my mom. Because when my mom was more active and able to you know, when she was vibrant and coming out, she would come to my shows sometimes, uh, come to Square One shows and performances and so on. And I had to be able to do what I do in front of my mother and not feel like, I feel away, feel embarrassed or feel like I, like I embarrassed her or, you know, she wasn't, wasn't proud of, of me and, 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 and what I have achieved and what I was doing and so I I drew a line in the sand for myself in terms of what I would what I would do and that I would always have to be in control as you said in control of my stage is my stage so anybody that steps on my stage understand you under certain manners on this stage you can't just do as you like and you know they're not lifting me up and all that. I, I ain't indulging in that. I saw. I've seen some attempts, and they've been shut yeah. down immediately. Mhm, mhm. I'd be like, well, if you, if you, no, if you want to go down that line, you could get off the stage. It's quite fine. Of course, both intelligence and sexiness, sensuality, all of that can exist in the same space because I find that we as women sometimes can be so hard on ourselves and on each other. And some of us aren't comfortable with our sexuality and aren't comfortable with 
their, their, you know, with curves, with their curviness and, and, and showing that and being confident and being comfortable with it. And I have been on that journey and been able to and have learned to embrace these, the, my sexuality and all that that brings and still be able to not only have intelligent conversations and speak well and be involved with what is it you know happening in the world and 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 be involved in that but there is a there's a way to do it there is a way to be sexy and classy at the same time it doesn't have to be that you're skinning out and sprawling out and that's that's not what that's not what it's about that's not what it is it's about having fun it's about having fun with your sexuality it's about having fun and being proud to be a woman being proud to be female and the other thing too is that i was taught early in my career and i try to tell other young females in the business up and coming females male fans and it is gonna it might sound a kind of way but is is the truth male fans are gonna be there especially if you look good and you think yeah you male fans you will have female fans as a female artist you have to earn mm. but when you have female fans they're yours for life they are there for you thick through thick and thin up and down everything and so my focus is really on the women and not even so much on the guys my focus especially early in my career was on gaining female fans it wasn't about the guy the, the men was there <laughs> the man was dead. The man was falling over the cell, eyes popping out, the whole thing. Men was there. But the females, you have to earn their respect and earn their support. Indeed. And so through doing that is how I make my performance. I make it sexy without making the women in the audience feel like feel less than you understand and that is something that has always been in my head it's always been there from my square one years right through to the present but i'm comfortable i'm comfortable i'm comfortable with my curves with my backside that has been a source of conversation and since arguments since the 1990s and all kinds of stuff and still goes on to this day i'm comfortable with all of it i have in getting older gained gained size and i have been doing my training and eating as well as i can and doing what i can but still embracing who i am at where i am at this point you know what i mean and now everything is kind of, no, I can't even say it's come full circle. It has finally come to the point where thick, curvy girls are a thing. You understand? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's all about the thick girls. It's about the curves. It's about the butt. It's about boobs. It's about, you know, it's about thick thighs. It's about, like, I, I never thought that I would see the day, but 
it has come where thick girls, you know, are 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 goals, you know, thick girls are body goals. I'm like, all right, I'm good with this. I'm happy with this. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> <laughs> so Asin, talk to me about your branding. Thirty years, just about almost thirty years in the game, and you're still as relevant as ever. Not many people enjoy have enjoyed that privilege. How have you and your team or teams developed your brand to such a level that, you know, Alison Hines is, is here? It's a lot of strategy, a lot of strategizing. To be fair, with my former management, you know, Rolex Gal was what really relaunched me out there and in a very big way, not just on to the regional market, but the global market in up to a point because I still don't think that I was able to fully capitalize on that popularity because of what had happened and there was no there was no follow-up either and that's where things kind of you know felt like they were starting to 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 go awry since changing my management my present team perception management uh who are actually Trinidadian, based in Trinidad, they, you know, these are young, aspiring, talented guys, educated, really, you know, they're out there, not just waiting for the phone to ring or waiting to receive emails. They are out there looking for opportunities, looking how to create opportunities, things like that. Um, and that's what, that's what management is supposed to do. Management is also artist development, career development, that kind of stuff. And so it's my team is 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 small but effective. And that's what I like. You know, we I don't need to have, you know, a huge set of people to do what needs to be done. I have been able to gather a really good team and everyone understands the trajectory and there's transparency. You know, there's absolute transparency and that and and also having uh, because I've been in the business for as long as I have. It's also good to have younger people on the team. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want people who uh, I want who is on the cutting edge of what's happening, who is always checking, you know, what the trends are, not because I need to be in every trend, but to keep me on, you know, on the edge, to keep me, but still bearing in mind who I am holistically as a mother and a wife and all of those things, but still the Queen Ahsoka, that sensuality, that sexuality and that power. I've learned a lot from them and they have also learned from me. And that's really important to be able to also listen to you know to each to each other because i may have you know an idea as to what i want to do in terms of my career and then management will be like but you know what allison so 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 we have to also think about blah 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 which i probably you know didn't consider and so it's all of that back and forth give and take that helps having those meetings expressing how you feel 
um, I can go to them with a, with an idea. They can come to me with an idea. And, you know, once everybody's on board, we focus and we, we get it done. And keeping, staying connected to what's happening, even through my daughter, who is now 16 years old, actually is going to be 17 this year. Through her, I stay on top of things because she's on Snapchat and, t- and you know, TikTok and YouTube. And she's keeping me current with what's, you know, a lot of what's happening in her generation. Mm-hmm. And that helps me to be able to say, well, okay, that's where they are. So let's see what we could do that is going to attract them as well as keep the ones that have grown with me, the ones that are in my generation that have grown up from my square one years to now, and then all those generations in between. So it's definitely um, a group effort because I can't do this by myself. That's the, you know, the best, the best way that I can tell you that, you know, we have to, we, we do it as, it's a, it's a we. It's not a me. Indeed. So the next few questions, <laughs> I don't want you to be politically correct. I want okay. you to tell me from your gut. First okay. thing comes to mind. All right. <laughs> what is your favorite Alison Hines song? Oh, God. I don't have one. <laughs> Faluma, Togetherness, um, I Roll It Go. Okay. Because I can't call one. Give us a few songs from other artists that you absolutely adore. Um, from... Patrice, I love Carry On mm. uh, from from last year. Love, love that song. Who else's songs do I love? Anything from Kess. Like, Kess could sing a lullaby to me, <laughs> and I'd be happy. Uh, Kerwin. Mm-hmm. Kerwin. Um, I love Kerwin's music. Love, 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 love. Um, who else, boy? Nadia. Nadia. Na, Nadia. I love Nadia. And listen, it's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even call songs because... She's quite those, the writer. Yeah. Tell me an artist that you listen to that may surprise us. Prince. Oh, good one. I love Prince. I have always loved Prince. Regret that I never had the opportunity to see him in concert at any point before he died. But I love... His music, mm-hmm. love, love for years now, have loved his music. Um, I watched most of the movies. I think all the movies that he did, Under the Cherry Moon, Purple Rain, um, Graffiti Bridge. Um, I've had like a whole slew of his albums, including the back of the Black album, which was limited edition. Uh, yeah. You are for real, I'm, for real Prince fan. Yeah, I'm a for real, for real Prince fan. For real. Which artist from this generation, or you can name more than one, would you consider collaborating with? In Soka. In Soka. Voice. I love voice. Love his voice. Love his voice. Love his energy. Per- everything. Personality. All of that. Love that he's so humble, that he's so, he's very sweet. Yeah, voice would be one. Actually, from Barbados, I've been wanting to do a collab like with a Bashman artist. Ah. Yeah, because I mean, Bashman was we, you know, Bashman was around before it was called Bashman. 
uh, with Ray Karam and also Square One. Square One would have done a couple of Bashma tunes too. You did one with uh, Rick way back in the day. Yes. Rough Winers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Rough Winers, Rough Winers wasn't Bashma. Rough Winers was Power, was, was Soka. Uh, yeah, um, oh, yeah. Ske- yeah, indeed, indeed. Skettel, Skettel was Bashman. Skettel, we had a song called Skettel, don't call me that. Skettel, don't call me that. That <laughs> was Bashman. So, right, so Mole, either Mole or um, or Stiffy mm. from the Bashman crew. Who else would I consider? Uh, Nadia. Did I do something with Nadia already? No, I didn't. She wrote for me before. She's written for me before, but we are we actually haven't done a collaboration. I can't so wait! I, I can't co- wait for that. <laughs> yeah, a collaboration with with Nadia would be would be awesome. I like Nyla a lot too. I can hear I that. I like Nyla. I can hear she that. She has she has a quirkiness and a an um, for almost an innocence, but she has this quirky. She's another artist that who you see is who you is is what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. She is she is just ex, as as you see her, that is her. Yeah, those those would be a few. I love it. I love it. Who or what inspires Alison Hines? My love of music. My love of yeah, my love of music, creating it, you know, being a part of it. My daughter also inspires me because I want to leave a legacy not only leave a legacy for her but for her to be proud of her mom for mm. her to be able to be there with, with whether she's with friends or whatever and be proud to know that that is her mom mm-hmm. that's that's something that definitely you know it motivates me and and inspires me what does Alison Hines do to relax I binge watch shows on Netflix and Hulu <laughs> Hulu, I have Hulu Plus, and um, I love to watch, like, escapist stuff, like shows that, not, I don't like, like, the, I don't like the Real Housewives of anything, I don't watch any of those shows, but I will watch, like, Married at First Sight, or I will watch, um, 90 Day Fiance. Yes, 90 Day Fiance, and all that kind of stuff, like, I love to watch that kind of stuff, um, <laughs> And then I have my shows that I watch, like Law & Order, SVU, um, New Amsterdam, The Good Doctor. That's my way to relax. Even when, when I was on tour, which hopefully I will resume again, that was, I could stay in my room. I would never turn on the, t- the hotel TV. Like, I stopped doing that, like, ooh, Lord, a while now. I pick, take out my laptop and pull up Netflix or Hulu, and I am into... I can check and see. Okay, was the new episodes of of whatever show that I'm that I'm currently watching? You know, that's one of the ways that I relax. I also like to just just kind of. I've been able to spend like a lot of time with my daughter. Uh, just having the being home. I've been home for a solid year. Like this month makes a year. Isn't it that crazy? I have been home. It is the weirdest thing. And but she and I have i think like we've reconnected on a on another level and because she always had her dad but mom was always you know was hardly here and so we 
I actually have now realized that not only does my daughter look like me, but we have similar, very similar personalities. Our sense of humor is similar. Um, you know, we can have like real deep conversations or we could just talk nonsense and giggle and laugh and be silly. We ha- we have a show um, called Celebs Celebs Out Celebs um, Gone Date Go Dating, which is a British show. That's our show to watch. So I don't watch that show unless she and I are watching it together. I've actually seen and this. They uh, it's usually like reality stars, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different celebrities, reality stars, and different things that are looking, you know, for somebody. So she and I watch that. We have a blast watching that show. So it's like, you know, things like that. You know, we've had the opportunity to really have some good mother-daughter conversations and, you know, her being able to come to me with certain things and go to her father for other things. And, you know, that I think has been a really good thing, a really big thing that has happened for me through this pandemic and through having to stay put and and be in Barbados and be at home that's one of the really great things that has come out of this really reconnecting with my daughter and having that that relationship and having having a not not just a mother daughter relationship but having a friendship mm. with my daughter i think that's that that's been really, really awesome. I can honestly say that. Very deep, very deep. Favorite country to visit, not necessarily on tour. I really love Trinidad. Mm-hmm. I love Trinidad. Just you know the people, the and, energy. You know, I know the energy, the food. Um, you know all of that. Uh, Toronto is my favorite city to visit. I've loved Toronto for years, like Agreed. from my from my days with Square One right through. Um, it's it, especially in the summer, you know. It's it's a super clean city. It's you know the people are really friendly, and there's tons of stuff to do. And and it's, and it's just enough. It's enough city and enough, you know. Yes. It's it's, yeah. it's big enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, one of my that's that's yeah, that's one of my favorites. To I haven't had the opportunity. I love London, but I haven't been up to London a lot in the past like few years. So I'm I, again, I'm making a conscious effort for 2022. Uh, also, because my brother is there, I went up for his wedding in 2019. And now they have a baby, so now I'm. I have my first nephew. Auntie Allison. Auntie Allison. Wow! Congratulations. So I, haven't, I haven't seen him yet. I haven't seen him like in person as yet. I've only seen him, you know, on video and FaceTime and so on. And my brother's like, you know, as soon as things open up, you need to come. You need to come because I want. I want Joa. His name is Joa. I want Joa to meet his auntie and, and his cousin. You know, so. Yeah, so I, I have to, um, once I get the opportunity and things really open up, and yeah, I have to go to London um, and, and just reconnect because, you know, that's my birth, that's my birthplace, and it's... You may, and, you may, you may run into a former classmate. Possibly. That's very possible. <laughs> you mentioned that you eat very, uh, you're, you're a healthy eater. 
Yeah. What is your favorite cheat meal? Most pastries. <laughs> <laughs> I um I love when I say pastries I mean like like I I love cake. Like I like you know like sponge cake and like those kind of things but one of my favorite things is a is a currant slice. Like mm. I love currant slices but it has to be from Purity Bakery specifically because their current slices have like the right amount of pastry lots of raisins you know like everything like every bite there's raisins there you know what i mean yes some people some 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 um bakeries like the pastry is too much or there's too much sugar or there's not enough raisins but yeah i'm yeah i'm a i get it i get it i'm a pastry girl I'm definitely. I'm a, a huge fan girl. of Bayesian coconut bread, so I get it. Oh Lord, listen, coconut bread. Ooh, with the coconut in the middle. In the middle, it, yes. You must have the coconut in the middle, otherwise it don't make sense. And then you can heat it up with. Okay, no, don't get me started. Yeah, let me do it. Let me do it. You're a woman of style. Give me one wardrobe item that Alison Hines always has. Um, t-shirts. T-shirts. I love, yeah, T-shirts because you can throw on a T-shirt with a jeans or a shorts or joggers or, you know, and if you want to, you know, you could throw a jacket over it. It's like whenever I travel, like my stylist, I know everybody doesn't have a stylist, but I do. And my, <laughs> my stylist, she actually packs my stuff for me because because, you know, that's what she does. Mm -hmm. That's her job. And she knows that she has to put T-shirts and at least one or two pairs of jeans whenever I travel. No matter where I'm going, I have to have my T-shirt. And I usually like to wear the T-shirts with, like, you know, little captions and stuff on the front. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, because that's, like, the easiest thing to, to, to like, throw on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say I would say T-shirts definitely are a must. With regard to the music business, what's some of the best advice you've ever gotten? Some of the best advice is to make sure make sure that you know the business side of things and that you have control of your music, the rights to your music. Mm-hmm. Because you know there's a lot of artists, even internationally, who have fallen into that pitfall of creating all of this music and then none of it belongs to you and you have no control over it. Best advice you can give to that 16-year-old female soca artist that wants to be Alison Hines? Best advice I can give is be, be, you, be you. Be uniquely you. There is no other, you know... There's, there's one Alison Hines, there's one Destra, there's one, you know, of each of us. There's one Patrice. It's great to want to emulate success, but find out what is unique to you, what makes you you, and focus on that. Build on it. Learn about the business. Be very savvy, business savvy, and make sure that the people that are around you are not just yes people. Mm. But are people that actually, because they care, they're going to tell you the hard stuff. They're going to tell you the shit you don't want to hear at that point in time. But they're going to tell you because that is what is going to make you grow. 
and that is what is going to allow you to develop into the artist that you want to be and that you want to create and be strong and unapologetic in being a woman mm. claim that and stay strong and true to it and be true to yourself and you cannot go wrong mm-hmm. recently you had one of my faves rocking you put out west indian that you shot in ghana i think was it yeah and it was, partially, it was partially shot in ghana that's a wonderful video what is next for the allison hines brand um well i'm expanding now into other things outside of music so i'm taking a whole chapter out of rihanna's book and going into other things beauty clothing wonderful um, and some other stuff that is top secret yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't can, can discuss as yet things are things are coming along coming on stream within the next few months there's going to be uh quite a few things coming on stream so i am i'm excited about those things actually i'm very excited about them because it's it's going to give me the opportunity just like how right now rihanna does not ha- rihanna can record because she wants to mm-hmm. not because she has to like if she puts out music or puts out an album now it's just because you know what i like to sing and i'm I enjoy it and you know I have my own studio and I could do what I want and I could just throw something out there but not because she has to because she has built an empire a multi-million dollar empire indeed and she's about to add more to the Fenty line because she's going into um hair care next oh my goodness oh my goodness she is stopping she is not stopping you know I mean she's unstoppable right now I'm looking to go to branch off now into into other things and let the Allison Hines brand really and truly become fully what it needs to be. A full branding with products and merchandise and all of that good stuff and more. So Allison, when you are 105 years old and you're on your porch rocking back and forth, overlooking the pasture with the horses what would you like to say that thing was that you wanted to accomplish and that you did accomplish what is your ultimate goal my ultimate goal is to have that that true legacy a legacy that is way beyond the stage beyond the physical something that yes now i'm a household household name but by that time I want it to be really woven, even more woven, I should say, into the fabric of the Caribbean and beyond. And to really be able to look back and say, yes, I achieved what I wanted to. And I'm still on that. And I'm on that journey now. I'm on that journey towards being able to reach that. Indeed. So, Allison, this is a segment of the interview that I call The Planet Is Yours. I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on the planet alone to say whatever it is you want to the people. What's on your mind? Say whatever you want to the, to the audience. First of all, I want to thank everyone. Everyone that, everyone that has ever supported 
me, my music. Allison Hines, it's been a it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Her Royal Highness, the Queen of Soka. <laughs> How do we contact you? How do we stay in contact? Because I know you have. You said you have your clothing line coming out. You're gonna you're going into the the beauty space. We need to keep up. How do we keep up with you? Well, you can keep up through my IG page, which is which is Allison Hines, and it's it's a verified page, of course. Blue tick. That blue tick. Twitter. I'm also up on Twitter, Facebook, uh, my fan page. Um, what else do I have? Uh, uh, whatever else I have, that I can't remember right now. But you can, yeah, you can follow follow me on any of those platforms, and you know you can know what's happening, what's going on with the queen, where she is, where she isn't, where she's going next, what she's doing, yeah, all of that stuff. And of course, with the different projects that I have coming out, um, for sure, everything is going to be all over my social media. So, yeah, if you're not following me as yet. Why are you wasting what you you wasting time? Just go and and click and follow. And all of my um, social media is under my name, Allison Hines. One L in Allison, A L I S O N H I N D S. And you will find me and just follow and you know comment and like and share and do all of that. I have a YouTube channel that I've had for a while um, that I haven't done a, I haven't done any recent stuff with and I, I actually have a, a brand new YouTube channel that I have plans for I haven't done anything I haven't it's not live as yet um, but as soon as it is um, as long as you're following me on my other socials you will you know you'll know and then you can jump to my YouTube channel and follow me there awesome sauce Alison Hines, I can't thank you enough for gracing us with your presence here on Planet 30. It's been a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, I'm, it's a, it was a pleasure for me to be here. And um, I hope that I can be back again, you know, with my, when my new stuff, when my new stuff of starts Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.